There you go. Good morning, church. Uh, the reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise to God for a living hope. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of troubles. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Thanks be to God. So, first Peter. Um, hope. I want to talk about hope in future grace. Our hope is based upon past grace. Um, but also we look forward with hope in future grace. At least I think that's what the Lord wants to invite us to do. Hope is really um, the most significant driver and impulse for life. Uh, the writer of the Proverbs says, hope, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Um, and, and really, you know, we, we can't last for too long. Um, we can't endure too much suffering or struggle if there's not a sliver of hope or meaning to what is is happening. And we can so find us we find ourselves quickly slipping into despair. And so we need, I think, to ask ourselves where seriously and genuinely does our hope lie? In the scriptures, we see kind of a distinction between what we might call um, ordinary hope, the things that we would you know, quite naturally, hope would happen. Um, things improving, things getting better. You know, are finding uh, a vaccine to the coronavirus. Um, in fact, the risk from the virus beginning to ebb away and get less. We want to feel optimistic. Uh, we want to, things to go well with our health, with financially, in work, and uh, in our marriages. With our kids, we want them to see, be successful. And we want to have hope about those things. And it's reasonable that we would. Now, when Peter was writing this letter, he was writing to Christians throughout the known world. Unlike many of Paul's letters, this letter of Peter is written to Christians spread about, not in just one particular church. And, um, and they were living in a volatile world where life was short and life was dangerous uncertain, insecure. In fact, becoming a Christian made life even more insecure. And yet Paul begins this letter with this tremendous message of hope. 
for some people, I think misplaced hope can be a danger. For some people, misplaced hope has caused them to give up on God because God didn't come through as they hoped and expected that he would. So there's something to learn here. I love how in in the passage we have, uh, and really how Peter begins his letter, having done his opening greetings, is he turns to God. (laughs) This is not about us. This is not about the Christians. This is not about what's going on. This is about God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the Father. It's about praising him. It's about, through the message, bringing us back into an acknowledgement and worship and glorifying of God. And he speaks about God's abundant mercy. According to his abundant mercy, he has given us new life or begotten us again to this living hope. Mercy. Of all people who should understand mercy, I think it's Peter. (laughs) You know, Peter was the one who... um, um, though courageous at times, remember, he's the one who gets out the boat. <laughs> he's the one who also promises ne- never to deny the Lord. And yet he does the very that very thing just a few hours later. And there's a sense of Peter understands about conviction, guilt, brokenness. And yet more than that, he understands mercy. He understands restoration. He understands forgiveness and is the beneficiary of that. Just ponder for a moment. Do you understand God's mercy? Are you a recipient of his abundant mercy? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that the things that that we've all done, the, the places in which we've fallen short, the times when we've acted selfishly and we've hurt others, we've hurt God, we are forgiven from. Christ has taken that upon himself. Not only has that the stain of that been removed, but even greater than that, something has been put upon us, which is this righteousness, this right standing, this goodness, and um, and this gift of life. Not just life at some time in the future, life now. We've been begotten again. We have been given new life, spiritual life, new birth, fresh start. This is what Jesus was trying to explain to Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders back in John's gospel, early on in his ministry. And he was confused. He didn't understand it. Many today don't understand the nature of the spiritual birth. It means that we have not only been forgiven and cleansed, and in a way the old has gone, as Paul puts it, but something new has come. It's been given to us by the mercy of God and by the generosity of God. And it's a life in God, a life in the spirit. And he's given us the down payment, the Arabon of the spirit, which is becoming one with him. And we've received of the spirit of God. And with him comes this assurance that we are not only forgiven, but we are children of God, sons and daughters of God. That's what the father wants us to know. It's not just like, Okay, the sin thing is dealt with, but you're welcomed back into the home because that's where he always wanted us to live. And that gift of life is not based upon anything you've done to merit or deserve it. It's the sheer gift and mercy of God because of what Christ did and because of what the Father did in resurrecting Jesus from the dead. 
It's through the resurrection. It's why this becomes the central tenet and focus of Peter's message and his whole life. It changes Peter and it should change us as well. Because on the cross and through the resurrection, not only is our sin dealt with, but principalities and powers. Um, in fact, Paul talks about how, how God made a public spectacle of them. Let's see if I can quickly find that. He says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, in the cross and through the resurrection. And so the sting of death is removed, as Paul celebrates in our morning prayer. We've been reading through 1 Corinthians 15. Death, where is your sting? Hades, where your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, through the new birth, we have not only forgiveness, but we have victory over the power of sin because of his righteousness and because of the indwelling spirit. And therefore, just again, as the writer the proverb says, there is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. This is our, this is our celebration. This is our reality. This is, I think, what the spirit wants to, in a way, embed deeply within our understanding and within our soul. So what is this living hope? Or as some have called it, this mystical hope, because there is something mystical. It's not ordinary. It's extraordinary. Two or three things. It's clearly not tied to our circumstances, but it's a hope that somehow lives in spite of those, um, almost without reference to those external circumstances and conditions. It's a hope that has something to do with presence, the presence of God the love of God, an experience of him being, of our being met by him, of our being accepted by him, of our being held by him in communion with God. And it's, and there's something that's intimate and present with us. This is a part of our hope. And thirdly, it's a, it's a hope that bears fruit in our lives. It changes us. There is, there's something that happens to us at the psychological level because of this hope. This is what Peter talks about. He talks about our, our rejoicing, rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. There is a, a sensation of, of strength that comes to us. We sang about that, of joy and satisfaction. There's this almost unbearable lightness of being. Again, not through our circumstances being met outwardly, but something that comes from within, through the spirit in us. The writer Hebrews, in reflecting on, on our hope, says this, for the law never made anything perfect. The Lord was powerless to change us. All it did was convict us that we're lawbreakers, that we need mercy. But he's contrasting that with what has come. He says, but now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Did you get that? Now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. This is our hope. In fact, this is the only promise that's given to us in the New Testament. 
that we would draw near to God, that we would enjoy intimacy with God, that he, as the psalmist said, would alone be our portion and our cup. And this is one of the keys, I think, to our, our rejoicing in and in a way enjoying um, in our lives this better hope. And Peter further defines it. He says it's something that it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. That's interesting, isn't it? This word inheritance. Inheritance is an important word. It's an important biblical word, uh, both in the Old and in the New Testament. Um, back in Joshua, as Joshua is taking possession of the land, and the land often is a physical symbolism of what the life, eternal spiritual life God has given us today represents. He says this, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. Now the land was the inheritance and each tribe was apportioned land in order to enjoy and to farm and to provide for themselves and to bring worship to God as well. But the tribe of Levi got no inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance as he promised them. Now, Peter will go on in chapter two to talk about our being a royal priesthood. Levi were the priestly clan. They were the ones that were dedicated to the worship of God. And that's our same destiny, not only in terms of this invitation to worship and to enter into the presence but also for us to inherit God himself. That's why it's a royal priesthood. And Paul speaks of how the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So there again, we get this, this idea of inheritance, coheres with Christ, of God himself, and it's tied to our sufferings. Just in the same way as Peter in his letter, he's trying to give meaning and understanding to the fact that we're still living in a world that is broken and in which there is suffering and there is loss and there is pain. But God has not let, left us alone. God is still at work, even as we sang, though we don't see it and we don't feel it often. God, nevertheless, still is at work. And so we are heirs of God himself. This is our hope. This is what we've been born again into through the spirit. And this is what the spirit reassures us. He's the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I just want to pause for a moment. I just want you to pause and And to recognize that the spirit of God is with you. He's in you. And he's the one who brings these truths to life and to light in your life. And he's the one who stirs up your heart with this joy inexpressible, full of glory. I want to just pray for you where you're at right now. And I just want to invite you to open your heart to the continuing work of the spirit in your life. To bring this awareness that this This hope would be and truly a living hope because of the living Christ in us. So come, Holy Spirit, breath and life of God, just as once you breathed into Adam and he became a living being. So we read at the end of John's gospel, Jesus breathed upon them. 
I said, receive the Holy Spirit. You've breathed the very breath of God into us. And we have come alive through the Spirit. And he declares us children, forgiven, righteous, destined for glory, alive through Christ. And we shall never die, for our hope is eternal. Lord, bring that awareness to your people. Renew that hope in us. And may it bring about this sense of joy, unspeakable, full of glory. Amen. Now this this spirit, this living hope in us is what keeps us and what shields us through his power. Paul wrote to Timothy, didn't receive a spirit of timidity, fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, again, it's, it's, it's God, God infects and affects every aspect of our personality and our personhood, not just this spiritual life, but our minds, our wills, our emotions. But it's through faith. It's faith in the continuing work of God and work in the, and faith in the future work of God, which is why it's also future grace. And somehow these trials, which Peter references and Paul too, the struggles that come upon us, the suffering that some endure, the grief that we face. These are a part of the Spirit's work in us. These are a part of the journey. This is about God working something deeper into us than we would have had otherwise. It's why John cannot get away from the fact that the sufferings of Christ, the place of crucifixion of dereliction is the place of greatest glory. Because it's at the place of utmost weakness as Paul would say, that the power of God is perfected and he gets the glory. And remember, that's where we're going. This is not about us. This is about the praise and glory of God. Now, God may bring blessings into our lives. Of course he does. He blesses us with friends, children, spouses at times, healing at times, provision at times. But there's no guarantee of these things. That's one of the dangers of the word of faith movement, that they took that too far and brought about unreal expectation. That's not in the scriptures. But what is in the scriptures is that through this new and better way, we can draw near to God. That is the only guarantee to communion with him, to connection to God, his comfort as we endure struggle, grief and loss. As Peter says, if you continue in your faith, holding on, trusting in, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Now, this isn't just some inner experience. This is what changes the way we live. This is why I believe this is the a most wondrous opportunity for us to, to sing more loudly, to proclaim through our lives and through the things that we do and the way that we live to the world that is without hope, without Christ. And so there's implications to how we live and serve God. And as we continue through the letter, we will read about some of those. Let me conclude with these words of Peter. Though you have not seen him. Now, remember, Peter had seen him. He'd walked with him. He'd gone up the Mount of Transfigure. He'd seen him transfigured into something of his glorious state. He'd seen him suffer and die. He'd seen him as the resurrected Lord. And he's writing to these Christians who've never seen him in that way. 
but he says you love him. And like them, we don't see him, but we love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And that's the encouragement to go on believing and trusting in him. And through that, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hallelujah. That is the great gift of God. And that is our present and future hope by his grace. Amen. Well, I hope some of that is an encouragement to you. And um, an encouragement to to press into this place of intimacy and closeness to the Lord, to draw near to him with confidence, uh, as we read from uh, the writer of the Hebrews. But I just want to pause there, as we normally do before we transition. And just um, if there's anything anyone would like to, to share or to comment or to testify about, please take the opportunity. Just remember to unmute yourself first.